Why was that done? Why was it necessary to include that provision? Good question, Mr. Stephanopoulos. Lots of good questions. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM people-powered radio in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe. Every day of the week on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, amongst other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Just trying to keep up with it all today. Uh, Coming up in a bit, another mind-blowing adventure (laughs) in attempted election oversight, this time regarding the complete destruction of all paper ballots in the middle of a lawsuit in Florida following an election between two Democrats, one of them a powerful member of Congress. That's coming up shortly. Uh, But first... Uh, A number of news items that I want to try to get through today, if we can fit them all in. They just keep breaking today, Desi Doyen. I know. It is. uh, And none of them, uh, none of them good, actually. Unfortunately. Um, An Amtrak train making the first ever run along a faster new route hurtled off an overpass at an estimated 80 miles per hour on Monday, just south of Seattle, spilling some of its cars onto the highway below killing at least six people as uh, as of this hour as we go to air according to authorities 77 passengers and five crew members were aboard when the train derailed at least 50 people were hospitalized more than a dozen with critical or serious injuries an official briefed on the investigation told the associated press That preliminary signs indicate that uh, train 501 may have struck something before going off the track about 40 miles south of Seattle. The Pierce County Sheriff's Office said that vehicles on Interstate 5 were struck by the falling train cars and multiple motorists were injured. Uh, Thankfully, no uh, no fatalities uh, for those motorists, at least, have been reported so far. The deaths are all contained to the train, according to Pierce County Sheriff's Office spokesman 
uh, who added, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, the photos are 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 stunning to see the trains dangling yep. above the train cars dangling above the highway. Thirteen cars in total jumped the track. The train had only 14 cars, including two engines. A uh, passenger on the train said his car derailed. Everyone was catapulted into the seat in front of them. Washington State Governor Jay Inslee has declared a state of emergency in the aftermath. The NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, uh, is uh, sending a team to investigate. And, yeah, those uh, photos from the scene showing uh, that one car, uh, train car, uh, on the road and another one dangling over the highway is uh, just absolutely chilling uh cnn reports this is amazing the president donald trump was briefed on the accident in washington press secretary sarah sanders uh told this to cnn and he then almost immediately posted a tweet about what he called the country's crumbling infrastructure now desi doyle we've talked about infrastructure on this show on yeah. the Green News Report for years and years. And yes, the need to fix our crumbling infrastructure in this in this country. Uh, but Donald Trump, his tweet said uh, the, the train accident that just occurred in DuPont, Washington, shows more than ever why our soon to be submitted infrastructure plan must be approved quickly. Seven trillion dollars spent in the Middle East while our roads, bridges, tunnels, railways and railways and more crumble. Not for long. Now, uh, he's right about that. That we have crumbling infrastructure, yes. yes. And that we're spending trillions of dollars on wars in the Middle East. However... This case is not it. This case is not it. This accident happened on a brand new, a newly completed bypass uh, as the train was making its inaugural run on this new route. This was part of a $180 million project designed to speed up service from a route along uh, Puget Sound that is uh, bogged down by uh, by curves and single truck uh, single track tunnels and freight traffic and so forth. Yeah, this was supposed to shave about 10 minutes off the commute into downtown Seattle. And so a brand new train, a brand new infrastructure and <laughs> And of course, our Trump, president yes, goes out and decides yeah. to turn it into a political football and sort of take advantage by politicizing the, the this tragic accident that has killed people. Ten minutes later, only later, only after he, he had his uh, political tweet, uh, did he realize that or did he decide to address the victims? He said uh, he tweeted, my thoughts and prayers are with everyone involved in the train accident in DuPont, Washington. Thank you to all our wonderful first responders who are on the scene. We're currently monitoring here at the White House. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was clear as soon as this thing broke that people's lives were at stake. And, of course, he goes out and makes and that And tries to politicize statement. it yeah. first. And, of course, I just want to note that his proposed 2018 budget would slash funding for Amtrak's long-distance routes. And Republicans also have sought to entirely eliminate Amtrak's uh, $1 billion federal yep. funding. Uh, in other disaster news across the nation, uh, like many residents, Jeanette Frescas was caught off guard by the fire that has roared across Southern California for now more than 13 days, two weeks. She was one of tens of thousands of residents who piled into cars and fled as ferocious winds drove the what is now the third largest blaze in modern state history out here in California uh, through Ventura and now into Santa Barbara counties. 
She said what was once a paradise was like a war zone. Um, as she said this about her apartment complex, which was destroyed by the blaze. She said it's the scariest thing I've been through in my entire life. She had been woken up in the middle of the night with flames that she said were like 100 feet all around us. Luckily, she was able to escape in time. But thousands of firefighters uh, continued on Sunday to try to now shield coastal communities from one of the biggest wildfires in California history. That, even as a funeral procession rolled past burn-scarred hillsides in honor of one of their colleagues who was killed battling those flames, according to AP. Crews cleared uh, brush and dug containment lines above hillside neighborhoods in Santa Barbara County. Uh, as the winds slightly, uh, there were slightly calmer winds um, on Sunday after gusts had uh, fanned up, uh, fanned and flared up again, uh, prompting still more evacuations. While the gusts had eased somewhat, uh, the fire, even lower intensity winds are still very dangerous. And the fire northwest of Los Angeles was only 45 percent contained. Again, this is some two weeks after it initially flared up among very warm and very, very dry conditions here in Southern California. What we had reported earlier last week as the fifth largest fire in state history quickly became the fourth largest fire. Now it is the third largest fire in state history, according to officials. And by far the largest wildfire ever, I think, in the middle of uh, what is now winter. For right? a winter fire yeah. in California, it is the largest, and it's unlikely to be put out until mid-January at this rate. And, and this is after what used to be the wildfire season would have been over. Yes, we would have been in, a rain, in the rainy season right now, but California hasn't had... I mean, Southern California hasn't had any significant rain for, I think it's something like 250 days now. And you have been warning on the Green News Report that a wildfire season now in California is pretty much all year round at yes. this point. And uh, this certainly would seem to prove that case. Yeah, that we are in a or are entering into a new normal. Not a great one. Not a way. no. A, a very bad one. Mourners were standing on freeway over, overpasses to pay respect to the firefighter who was killed, Corey Iverson, 32-year-old, uh, who died on Thursday of burns and smoke inhalation. Uh, the blaze is also blamed for the December 6th death of a 70-year-old woman who died in a car crash on an evacuation route. I guess if there's anything here to be uh, happy about, it's the uh, w a very low death toll so yes. far. It's, um, uh, it, it speaks well of the uh, the emergency situation, the emergency response that has been put into place since the very deadly Northern California fires. This time, at least, they've been able to get to most people to get them out. And those were just weeks earlier, yes. those Northern California fires. Uh, this one, uh, this so-called Thomas Fire near Ventura County, started two weeks ago has burned more than 1,000 structures. That includes some 750 homes. Some 18,000 more homes are still threatened at this hour. The uh, 422 square mile blaze. That's uh, for our European listeners. That's over 1,000 square kilometers. Uh, it's called the Thomas Fire, and uh, it uh, evacuation orders now remain in effect for a number of communities along the coast. 
including, oh, now this is serious, uh, mansions owned by Oprah Winfrey and Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, boy. And other celebrities. So now... Now it counts. Now it matters. <laughs> yeah, now we're going to have to pay attention. Now the entertainment kids that follow only mm. entertainment news maybe will pay attention. A portion of the city of Santa Barbara was also evacuated uh, over the weekend as the thick plumes of smoke blew through city streets. The city's zoo workers put animals into crates and kennels to ready them for possible evacuation. Uh, there were, as I said, slightly calmer winds, and so crews were able to get some fire breaks in place. But uh, elsewhere, trees were coming down with wind gusts topping 70 miles per hour in the mountains and 50 miles per hour along the coast. Everything about this fire, AP uh, argues, has been massive from the sheer scale of destruction that destroyed entire neighborhoods to the legions of people attacking it. Right now, there are some 8,300 Firefighters from nearly a dozen states battling this fire uh, with 78 bulldozers, 29 helicopters. Uh, so that continues. So I just want to get that out there because that's sort of fallen off the pages, uh, uh, fallen off the front pages, even though that continues this huge fire now for two weeks. Speaking of unspeakably costly disasters, Exacerbated by global warming, Puerto Rico's governor on Monday ordered authorities to review all deaths reported since Hurricane Maria hit nearly three months ago amid accusations that the U.S. territory has vastly undercounted storm-related deaths there. Governor Ricardo Rosseo said in a statement that it's possible that the toll is higher, much higher, than the 64 deaths which was bad enough, but the 64 deaths currently blamed on the Category 4 hurricane that hit on September 20 with winds of up to 150 miles per hour, causing an estimated $95 billion in damage. Several independent analyses have determined that the death toll from that storm and uh, the storm-related incidents thereafter in Puerto Rico is likely closer to 1,000. Not 64, but 1,000. That's actually been reported for months now, and the island's governor is finally largely conceding that their numbers were wrong. You'll recall that Donald Trump had given himself a 10 out of 10 for the federal government's response to that disaster, to that ongoing disaster on the island of some three and a half million American citizens, one third of which is still, still today. Three months later, one third of the island is still without power. Three months after that disaster. And uh, with all of those costly disasters, man, that's just a, the disaster rundown for today, it seems. Um, with all of those costly disasters, Republicans in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate are still trying to push through their massive tax cuts for the wealthy and for corporations that all legitimate and nonpartisan analyses have determined will add some one and a half trillion dollars to the national debt. I, you know, we can't restore power in uh, in Puerto Rico. We can't uh, kill the wildfires in California. We've got trains falling off the tracks and uh, we're about to give these huge tax cuts to corporations that have never been more profitable in their lives and increasing the debt by one and a half trillion dollars to boot. Late on Friday, just after the reconciled version of the House and Senate plans was about to be released, 
Republican Senator Bob Corker stunned pretty much everyone by announcing that he would be voting in favor of final passage of this scheme, even though he was the one, the the only Republican who had voted against the version passed by the U.S. Senate. Nobody could understand why. And then David Sirota over at International Business Times reported that the new, the reconciled version contained this new provision that had not been in either the, the original uh, House or Senate versions, the, the, the ones that passed, uh, that included this new provision, w- included a huge tax cut for owners of large real estate holdings, essentially, which would directly benefit Corker in a big way. Uh, to the tune of more than a million dollars, not to mention also the president of the United States, who has been known to have some real estate holdings. The provision over the weekend became known as the Corker Kickback, and uh, hashtag Corker Kickback uh, was trending uh, over the weekend and still now. On ABC's This Week on Sunday, George Stephanopoulos asked, Senate Majority Republican Whip John Cornyn of Texas about why this mysterious new provision was added to the measure, even when it wasn't included in either of the previous versions of the legislation, uh, according to Sirota, and uh, leading everyone to wonder, is this why Corker suddenly, mysteriously, even after complaining, saying he wasn't going to vote for the, uh, the, uh, the version that passed the Senate, because it increased the deficit. Well, nothing has changed here to make that $1.5 trillion uh, increase to the deficit any smaller, and yet Corker says he'll vote for it now. Why? Is it because of this provision? George Stephanopoulos asked uh, uh, John Cornyn about it. Picking out one piece in a thousand-page bill and saying, well, this is going to benefit somebody, I just think it uh, takes the whole bill out of context. Well, but except that this provision wasn't included either the House or the Senate bill. It apparently was added at the last minute. Why was that done? Why was it necessary to include that provision? Well, we were working very hard. It was a very intense process. As I said, the Democrats didn't refuse to participate. Not the and, question, uh, John. What we've tried to do is cobble together the votes we needed to get this bill passed ah. at the same time at the same time, maintaining the integrity of the largest tax cuts we're going to be seeing in, uh, since 1986. So is that how you got Senator Corker with this provision? Well, the particular provision you're talking about, honestly, is just one piece of a thousand-page bill. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's John Cornyn saying, well, yeah, it's sort of admitting, well, we tried to cobble together the votes that we need to get this thing passed. Now, in the aftermath of all of this, uh, Corker has claimed that he knew nothing about this new provision, even as he stands to make millions from it, along with Trump and others in Congress who are going to... Senior Republicans in the Senate will make millions off of this. Yeah, Sirota followed up his report at uh, IBT Today with the news that uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican of Utah, admitted that he crafted this controversial tax provision which could personally enrich Senator Bob Corker, House Speaker Paul Ryan, President Donald Trump, and top Republican lawmakers directly overseeing the bill. The provision could additionally benefit the real estate industry overall, which has become, which has been one of Hatch's largest sources of campaign donations, Sirota points out. In his letter explaining this situation, Hatch did not dispute that Corker and other Republicans who have large ownership stakes 
in real estate, LLCs will stand to reap a personal windfall from this newly added legislative language. But he asserted it's not new at all. He said that that was in the it was in the House version or passed earlier this month. He wrote that uh, the claim that, quote, that a new pass through proposal was created out of how out of whole cloth and inserted into the conference report is an irresponsible and partisan assertion that is belied by the facts. Now, if that partisan assertion came from David Sirota who has not been kind to many Democrats uh, in, in his reporting. Uh, if you're going to call that partisan, well... Uh, prove it. Well, prove it. And Sirota says that uh, the uh, characterization has been disputed by tax experts on Monday, the characterization that this was already in the House bill. Um, they said that re- the Republican senator's uh, argument was factually false. Ed uh, Ed Kleinbard, former chief of staff of Congress's bipartisan Joint Committee on Taxation, told IBT that Chairman Hatch's letter is an exploration of an alternative tax universe not previously known to science. <laughs> okay. So uh, with that, uh, the pressure has been increasing big time on all of the Republican senators and members of the House as this push to get this huge transfer of wealth done from the uh, from the poor and the middle class to the wealthy and corporations making record profits. They're trying to get this done before Christmas. It looks like they will have the vote, but you can call the votes, but you can call your senators and your Congress members. To give them your thoughts on this at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. It is not too late, at least as we go to air today. All right, a quick break, and maybe we'll beat up on some Democrats on the other side as questions about the legitimacy of the election. A former Democratic National Committee chair and Florida Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz Those questions uh, swirl now after a wildly bizarre matter concerning paper ballots in the state of Florida. Once again, revisit all of us uh, here in the U.S. We'll be back with that story. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. No, we can't count anything. That's the problem here. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay. In the run-up to last week's U.S. Senate special election in Alabama, which Democrat Doug Jones appears to have won by 1.5 points over the Republican candidate and accused child molester Roy Moore, we reported quite a bit on this program about the multi-partisan effort before the election in Alabama to force the state to retain electronic digital ballot images of paper ballots uh, that were created by the state's computerized paper ballot scanners. The hope 
According to longtime election transparency advocate John Brakey, who helped organize an Alabama lawsuit to force the state to retain those di- digital images, was to allow citizens, the public, to have something, anything with which they could verify the computer-reported results after the election. That was needed, Brakey told us on this program before his uh, lawsuit was filed, because state officials make it nearly impossible for the public to oversee the way that computer tabulators record the results from hand-marked paper ballots that are used across the state of Alabama. That's a problem not just there, not just in Alabama, but in virtually all states that allow voters to vote on hand-marked paper ballots. It's good to have those ballots, but if the public can't look at them, only computers can look at them to find out uh, you know, what the results are, uh, doesn't do us a lot of good. We have to still trust in computers, which often get this wrong, either uh, through malfeasance uh, or just error, programming error. So since we can't look at the paper ballots directly, at least not for months and months after an election at best and at great cost to those who uh, wish to try and do so, who must pay for the costs of public records requests and so forth to inspect the ballots, those digital images that are created by the system are sometimes the next best thing to the actual paper ballots to try and oversee the results, to, to try and make sure that they were accurate. Those digital images, those can be released to anybody at pretty much little or no cost if they exist. And all of this is no small matter. You'll recall that, as we also reported on this program, just before Thanksgiving, election transparency advocates in Wisconsin were finally able to review some of the actual paper ballots from a number of precincts in Racine County, Wisconsin. Uh, Donald Trump was said to have won a surprise upset in that state, you'll recall, in the 2016 presidential election by just about 22,000 votes out of more than 6 million cast. That number was under a one percentage point margin of victory for Trump over Clinton. Yet once the voters were allowed, uh, were finally allowed to review the paper ballots cast last year, Finally, less than a month ago, they got to look at them. They found that some 2% to 6% of valid presidential votes on those ballots had not been counted at all by the optical scanners that were used across some 57 different municipalities in Wisconsin. So there is a good reason to argue that if the machines are set, if they have the capability to retain digital ballot images... Observers can then at least use those images quickly after an election, if not, you know, being allowed to look at the actual paper ballots themselves to try and verify the results of the election. Now, just before Election Day last week in Alabama, a federal court ordered the secretary of state there to instruct counties to retain those digital electronic images. But hours later, the secretary of state went to the uh, state Supreme Court by himself without letting the plaintiffs even respond and got an order from that court effectively reversing the earlier order. Thus, as far as we know, electronic ballot images were not retained in the U.S. Senate special election in Alabama last week. But as all eyes were focused on that race, news about another race from 2016 was finally becoming public. 
even as it was somewhat buried by the focus on Alabama last week. And it's sort of the mirror image of that fight for digital ballot images in Alabama. So here's what happened. In Broward County, Florida, an election transparency advocate had filed a public records request to review the hand-marked paper ballots from the August 2016 Democratic primary election between uh, Florida U.S. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz and her progressive Bernie Sanders-endorsed challenger Tim Canova. The primary challenge was Wasserman Schultz's first after six terms as a member of Congress, and it came just weeks after she had been forced to resign as the head of the Democratic National Committee after stolen emails revealed that some top DNC officials, including Wasserman Schultz, had been pulling for Hillary Clinton in that tough Democratic presidential primary contest between her and uh, and Bernie Sanders. Outraged Sanders supporters got behind Canova's primary challenge against Wasserman Schultz in the very Democratic Broward County, Florida. They raised more than $3 million for Canova, but ultimately Wasserman Schultz was declared the winner of that primary, defeating Canova by a larger than 13-point uh, margin, as reported by the county's optical scan computers. Now, Wasserman Schultz went on to, to win an, an even easier victory by an even larger margin over her Republican opponent in Florida's 23rd congressional district in November of last year. Nonetheless, Canova supporters were stunned by his reported primary loss. They saw a lot of irregularities in the reported results of that primary. And in March of 2017, Documentary filmmaker and longtime election transparency advocate Lulu Friesdat filed a public records request in Broward County to review the hand-marked paper ballots from the August 2016 Canova-Wasserman-Schultz contest. Now, according to federal law, all materials from a federal election must be retained for a full 22 months after an election. But Friesdat's public records request was essentially denied several times in various ways, after which Canova, who was concerned about the repeated denials by the uh, Broward County Supervisor of Elections, Brenda Snipes, filed a lawsuit against Brenda Snipes. Now, after almost a year of legal wrangling with the supervisor's office, in November, Friesdat and Canova and others were finally invited to the county facility for a ballot inspection well over a year after the August 2016 election in order to try and figure out why, among other things, there were so many apparent discrepancies between, for example, the number of voters signed in to vote in the various precincts and the number of votes that were actually recorded in each precinct. When they arrived to inspect those ballots, however, they received a surprise. As reported by Politico late last week, the paper ballots from last year's primary elections in Broward County had been destroyed by the county, though they claimed that digital images they had made of those original ballots could be inspected instead. So what? They destroyed the original paper ballots? Yes, apparently they did. The supervisor of elections attorney later admitted as much as part of the court case with uh, with Canova. So what the hell is going on here? Uh, 
here to help us understand what the hell is going on here is Lulu Friesdat, who filed the records request and who also wrote about all of this last week at Alternate. Lulu is an Edward R. Murrow award-winning journalist and documentary filmmaker. She received a Best Documentary uh, Award for her first feature-length documentary called Hollerback, Not Voting in an American Town, a film that explores systemic issues in our election system that discourages voter participation. As I've uh, noted when I had Lulu on the show previously, I happen to appear in her documentary, but it's a very good one anyway. She has produced election coverage for MSNBC and has done the editing work with CBS Evening News, Good Morning America, and others. Lulu Friesdat, welcome back to the broadcast. Great to be here, Brad. Thank you so much. My first question wants to be, what the hell, uh, Lulu? But let me let me be more specific here. First, you, what was the holdup uh, for your first several public records requests? Uh, and, and, and what did various election experts tell you about their concerns regarding the numbers that they were seeing that led you to file those record requests in the first place? The main sticking point with the county was that I wanted to either photograph or videotape the records inspection. And even though Florida law allows for a videotape of, uh, you know, public events mm-hmm. and, and records inspections, the county absolutely uh, said no to that, just repeatedly they would they didn't want us to videotape the inspection they didn't want us to take any photographs so their basic stand was you can come in and inspect the ballots but there won't be any public record of that mm. so i wasn't interested in that because that seems at at best then you if if we did get in there and find some discrepancies with the ballots and you have sort of a you know mm-hmm. we said they said situation i wanted I wanted it to be documented. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went back and forth, and they also just basically, one of their other strategies is just to ignore the request. So they would, I, I asked for about a dozen different things. My first public records requests were in November of 2016, mm. and I asked for, you know, quite a bit of, of different um, data points, and mm-hmm. they basically ignored most of the requests uh, and the ones that they did respond to, uh, they said no, like they would not allow the videotaping. Uh, and so we, we went back and forth about that for several months, and eventually I filed a new, that's when I filed the third public records request in March mm-hmm. uh, with the help of Canova's attorney. And wh- so, wh- 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 why were you uh, filing this in the first place? What was your concern? I don't know if you were actually a supporter of Canova's. But what you, you report that there were uh, quite a few questions about just the basic numbers of the number of people who voted versus the number of ballots counted and so forth. I didn't have that information until after I got some of the data from them. Mm-hmm. In March, they did start to provide some information. So what they did provide, uh, I asked for, one of the things I asked for was a disk that had all of the voters who voted in the August 30th, 2016 primary. Mm-hmm. And once they provided that information, then I was able to do an, an analysis. I, I worked with two separate data analysts. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, the way I work is I try to have two data analysts um, run the numbers independently without being in contact with each other. Usually, they use two different computer programs. Mm-hmm. And then I see if those numbers uh, reconcile so I know that our analysis is accurate. So I did that in this case. And what I came up with were these huge discrepancies where they had, uh, in uh, in all of the precincts total, there were 971 more cast ballots than voters who voted. And in fact, there were um, 
out of 211 precincts, there were only 19 precincts that had the same number of voters in cast ballots. No. So at that point, I did become, I, I became very concerned. And, and, and those numbers in and of themselves uh, w- would not necessarily have been enough to flip this, uh, flip the results of this uh, election, correct? Uh, the 971 ballots more than the number of voters who were signed in? Election experts that I spoke with said that once we found out later, as you said, that the, the that the original ballots were destroyed, mm-hmm. and so the consensus from experts that I spoke with was that at that point these results are simply very suspect. You don't know what's happened then. You know that you have these large discrepancies. Mm-hmm. You don't have the original ballots to look at. You have no way of knowing. Ultimately, when the county refused to show us original ballots, what they showed us was digital scans. If you're looking at digital scans and you don't have the original ballots to turn to, you at that point have no way of verifying that um, ballots haven't been switched out, the ballots haven't been added, the ballots haven't been, you know, taken away. Mm -hmm. You you don't have any verification that those are the original ballots. And so, therefore, even though the number uh, 971 is not enough to change the outcome, Canova lost by uh, around 6,000 votes, Mm -hmm. you don't know what else happened. You don't don't know what's going on and therefore the results themselves become suspect yeah i mean um, and then uh, I, yeah go ahead i want to go back and answer your question about what initially concerned me about this election uh, i had worked with a data analyst prior to doing the public records request and done a statistical analysis uh of the race he did a um a press conference at the national press association in washington dc about that analysis mm-hmm. and there were just red flags in that original analysis. We could not find a way to reconcile the demographics of the people who voted in the race with the actual results as they were certified. There were just the, the results didn't add up mm-hmm. to the demographics that were reported, and and so that was why I wanted to look at the results. And I'm I'm glad that we did because there seemed to have been some that initial uh, statistical analysis uh, seems to have actually um, been useful in terms of demonstrating some sort of problem with this election. Well, yeah, clearly uh, there's there's some kind of problem. And I want to point out, by the way, and I, I don't know if uh, Politico has this right. Mark Caputo wrote about this late last week over at Politico, uh, and he's uh, usually a good reporter. He, he, he says that the first public records request, when you initially tried to uh, try to get at these materials uh, so you could inspect them, so you could figure out you know what was going on, why these statistical discrepancy. And by the way, I think you and I have talked before, uh, Lulu, that, you know, I'm not big on statistical uh, studies of elections. I want to look at the actual ballots, that there can be red flags from these statistical uh, studies. But unless we actually count the ballots, there's no way to know, you know, what these stats actually mean or don't. But you were told uh, that it would yeah, cost. Yeah, I want to jump in there, yeah. Brad. I, yeah. I agree with you that it's good to explore the statistical analysis and try to find out whether or not it's useful. I will say I'm two for two now yeah. in terms of the two counties where my team did a statistical analysis that showed red flags. The two counties that we've actually been able to look at the ballots, Racine County and Broward County, mm-hmm. have both showed discrepancies or some kind of problem with the election. Right. So, so far. When we've been able to look at the actual ballots or some, you know, of the of the county paperwork, uh, those statistical analysis red flags have been have 
turned out to be accurate. Right, and and I, I what I mean to say is uh, not to disparage these uh, statistical analyses, but in and of themselves, it doesn't mean, for example, that uh, Donald Trump stole the election in Wisconsin, or that Hillary Clinton's, uh, or I'm sorry, Debbie Wasserman Schultz stole the election in Broward County. But it gives us a reason to inquire and to actually see how people voted. And you were told it would cost uh, almost $72,000, if uh, Caputo is right, in Politico, uh, to try to uh, look at those ballots originally. That was negotiated down, I guess, with uh, Canova's attorney down to about $3,000. I I just mentioned this because, you know, people say, well, if we have paper ballots, then we can always look at them later if there's any questions about the results. Well, clearly we cannot. Clearly, you know, unless we've got tens of thousands of dollars to do that and you can overcome state laws. I mean, Jill Stein had millions of dollars to do it in her attempted recounts after the presidential election in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and uh, Michigan. But she was blocked in all three states. Uh, So it's not enough to just have the paper ballots. Counting them and being able for the public to oversee them is a completely different matter. So when you were finally allowed, uh, Lulu Friesdat, to look at these ballots, were you told first, by the way, before you went to the uh, Broward County Inspector, uh, Supervisor of Elections office, that you wouldn't be looking at the actual ballots, that you would just be looking at supposed digital copies of them? No, we weren't told in advance. They did try to contact our attorney uh, and um, or Tim's attorney. Mm-hmm. Tim's attorney requested that I be on the phone call as their I'm the expert witness in this case, mm-hmm. and uh, they declined to have me on the call, and therefore they didn't inform us. One thing that is also interesting to note is that in the very first public records request in November, I requested all of the digital ballot scans for the election, and I was told that they didn't have them, that they didn't exist. And then it turned out that they did exist. So, again, the county was duplicitous in regard to that information. Did they destroy the paper ballots? They say they destroyed them. Did they destroy them before or after the uh, the lawsuit was actually filed, which would seem to clearly be, by the way, in violation of the law? Um, there's a you have to keep all of these materials for 22 months after a federal election. Uh, but even if somehow we ignored that law, it seems like they were in the middle of a lawsuit when they would have deleted these ballots, if I understand the timeline. That is absolutely correct. The lawsuit had already been filed when they deleted, when they destroyed the ballots, uh, and the order to destroy the ballots uh, includes a statement that says there's no uh, legal action pending in regard to these documents that are being destroyed. And Brenda Snipes personally, Brenda Snipes is the Broward County Supervisor of Elections. She personally signed off on this document that said that there was no legal action pending in regard to these documents. And, and that, that just simply wasn't true. The lawsuit had already been filed. And in theory, she knew about the lawsuit having been filed when she uh, when she gave the order to destroy the ballots? I don't know how she couldn't have known. I mean, she was, she, her attorney was, was negotiating the lawsuit. So it, it would be very hard for me to imagine how she wouldn't have known that there was a lawsuit pending. I can read you the statement. We have, um, we have the document that, uh, you know, the order for destruction, mm-hmm. and it says, um, it has her signature on it, and it says, I hereby certify that the records to be disposed of are correctly represented below, that any audit requirements for the records have been fully justified, and that further retention is not required for any litigation pending or imminent. This was in September 
of 2017, the lawsuit was filed. Public records request was filed in March. Yeah. So they had an open public records request, and I believe the lawsuit was filed in July. Uh, Canova's attorney, uh, Leonard Collins, is quoted by, uh, by Politico as calling the matter bizarre, noting that, quote, you can't destroy public records in an ongoing court case, and that he, quote, has never seen anything like this. Um, the, uh, th- that article goes on to quote all sorts of uh, uh, election experts, both Republican and Democratic, uh, who say that it is simply not true that as long as you uh, keep the ballots in an electronic format that you can destroy the original. That's what Broward County's uh, attorney, uh, Brenda Snipes, uh, her attorney, seems to be saying, that the law allows them to maintain ballots in just an electronic format. Um, what was the, what was the explanation that they gave you for destroying the ballots? That they thought state uh, state law allows them to do this? At the time that I did the public records inspection, mm-hmm. they did not tell us that the ballots had been destroyed. They simply said that they were unavailable, uh, and so I didn't have any personal dialogue with them about why the ballots had been destroyed. Um, that was uh, the following Monday. They went to court and said that they had destroyed the ballots. Uh, and then this is apparently the explanation that their attorney is giving. Is What they said to me was that they had scanned the ballot specifically as a courtesy to me to make the ballot inspection easier so that they could, you know, show me all the ballots on a big screen, which mm-hmm. they did digitally. But I hadn't, I had, <laughs> I, I had requested those digital images, you know, almost a, a, literally a year ago, mm-hmm. and, and I had wanted all of them on a disc so that I could review all of them. When I made a trip, you know, when I flew to Florida, it was not to see digital images. It was to see original ballots, and those were not provided. Do you have any confidence that the digital images that you did finally get to review, that they represent the actual ballots as cast in the August 2016 primary? There's just no way to know. It's not a question of whether or not I have confidence. It's just that there's no evidence to support it one way or the other. They don't have the original ballots, and so there's no way to know if the digital ballots are the same yep. as those original ballots or if they're different. Based on those electronic images, which are either of the actual ballots or they are not, uh, do, do the results there match what was originally reported by the computer tabulators last year? Um. Yes, they have managed to make the number of ballots, that, the number of you know digital ballots that they have on hand mm-hmm. do, for the most part, match the certified results. Mm-hmm. But they don't match the number of voters who signed in. So, you know, there's just a lot of discrepancies, mm-hmm. and that's why the experts that I interviewed said overall that the results are suspect and that this is a very concerning case. If you read um, my article, uh, it is on Alternet. It's also, mm-hmm. my website is hollerbackfilm.com, mm-hmm. and if you go to my blog there, the article is posted. And the experts that I spoke with, uh, these are computer experts uh, like Doug Jones at the University of Iowa. Mm-hmm. He called it, he called their behavior grossly negligent. I spoke with Duncan Buell, who's a professor of computer science at the University of South Carolina, who, uh, you yeah. know, is a... Um, who examines election records extensively. He said, I would call it a high likelihood of massive incompetence, either that or there is fraud. So these are people who, you know, Doug Jones was a member of the Election Assistance mm-hmm. Commission Technology Board for four years, and he said he's never seen a county that looks like this. No, he's, he's so a, a fan. Yeah, go ahead. 
these are people whose job it is to look at election results, and they were shocked uh, at what they saw, and they said that there, this is this is a very, very problematic election. And I should note uh, that's a separate Doug Jones from the one who uh, reportedly won the uh, U.S. Senate race in Alabama. Uh, the, the one you're talking about is a longtime expert of uh, electronic uh, voting systems. Uh, who looked at this and said, this does not make sense. Uh, qu- quickly, right. uh, Lulu. So Douglas Jones at the Univers- University of Iowa. And again, right. that link is on my blog, hollerbackfilm.com slash blog. We will uh, definitely link over to that. Uh, Lulu Freeze, that I've got just a minute or two left here. Uh, Politico quotes Snipes uh, attorney as calling Canova essentially a sore loser. Uh, noting that he plans to run again against Wasserman Schultz next year and that he, quote, has been all over Washington, has been trying to do a documentary because he's upset he lost the election, unquote. Uh, I know you don't speak for Canova, but your response to that charge from the uh, the attorney uh, of the uh, Broward County Supervisor of Elections. I think it's just a lot of distractions going on, They're just, you know, redirection. The basic facts... As the basic facts of the evidence support is that the number of cast ballots mm-hmm. do not match with the number of voters who voted, and the original evidence has been destroyed. So the facts, uh, as we've established them and as Politico has confirmed, is that there that uh, the ballots that the county has been engaged in illegal activity, and yeah, they're trying to. To redirect attention, certainly. Is there action that can be taken against Brenda Snipes for violating uh, federal law here in in destroying those ballots? Is that will will that be, as far as you know, part of uh, further legal action in this case? That investigation is ongoing, and I've been advised not to comment about it. But uh, seven seven, according to Politico, seven legal experts that they consulted all agreed that. Uh, that the ballots being destroyed was illegal. So I will leave this to you if you want to answer this final question, Lulu. Uh, your your article at Alternet is uh, t- headlined, and I know you don't necessarily write the headlines there, but the que- the headline was, uh, was the heated 2016 Democratic primary rigged for Debbie Wasserman Schultz? Question mark. And I want to leave this, uh, ask you this uh, final question where I started, uh, which is at the top, I wanted to say, what the hell? So what do you think is going on here, Lulu? What's going on here is actually just um, a representative sample of the problems that we have with our elections and which you have been reporting on for over a decade. Uh, We're heading into the 2018 primaries. We at least now have a growing understanding and awareness that in many cases our election results are may or may not be accurate and that the protocols that we're using in order to get those results are not secure and do not follow you know good election protocols mm-hmm. so we're really I, what i've really been encouraged about is that we are starting to see a, a mass movement happening now with awareness about this issue, it's moving into the you know into the dialogue uh, that we need to have accurate and secure elections, and there are basic protocols that need to be in place in every county, in every state, in order for us to have confidence in those results. And part of that, you know, would have solved this type of problem if we have uh, transparency, uh, meaning the public is able to you know, to oversee this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, we need, uh, so, I mean, the basic issues that 
are being asked for now in order to head off this type of situation. Paper ballots, voter marks, paper ballots in all of the states and all of the counties, machines that are, you know, have good election security in place. If we're going to use scanners, they need to really have good technology that uh, has um, the technology experts have vetted. And then we need to really audit those results. They need to be either done with risk-limiting audits or 100% manual hand-count audits. We need to have precinct-level data that is user-friendly, available to the public, immediately following the election, say within 48 hours, so that individuals and groups can look at the results and see if they make sense. And part of that needs to include the digital ballot images. Those need to be available to the public. And we can't have this type of thing where public records request costs tens of thousands of dollars. The, the information about our elections needs to be free or cheaply available to the public in a user-friendly format immediately following the election. And, and if we have all of these systems in place, if we have better security, if we have meaningful audits, if we have public oversight and ballot images and data uh, that the public has access to, we will start to move into a new paradigm where our election results are something that all of us can have confidence in. And that, I know, is something that you've worked for for years, yep. and it's something that I also have worked for. And I yep. think we're, you know, we're getting to a tipping point where people are starting to understand what's necessary and where we're moving toward those demands really being heard and and hopefully in the near future matt this tipping point better hurry lulu freeze that uh always great talking to you uh thanks for the work you've been doing uh in florida in wisconsin all over the country for so long it's tremendously appreciated i'll uh, link folks over to your report at alternate was the heated 2016 democratic primary rigged for debbie wasserman schultz i'll also link to mark caputo's piece at politico uh, experts, Broward's elections chief broke law in destroying ballots. And I'll link to your website, hollerbackfilm.com, Lulu. Uh, folks can also find, uh, find and follow you on the Twitters at Lulu Friesdat. Uh, always great talking to you, Lulu. Thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you, Brad. And I do have a GoFundMe up. And if people want to support this work, I really would welcome it. And thanks so much for the interview. You bet. Well, hopefully uh, people can find that GoFundMe via your website, hollerbackfilm.com. Yeah, or the Twitter, at Lulu Freistat. Superb. Thanks, Lulu. Thank you, Brad. All right, quick break. And we are back with the uh, closing uh, few minutes here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. You know, it's a 
it's a good thing they didn't destroy the ballots in Senator Al Franken's first election back in <laughs> 2008. That was quite a recount yeah, back then. That was decided by just a few hundred votes. One of the uh, pr- pretty much the only statewide uh, recount in 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 the history of the nation that I can recall in any case that was actually well done and fully public and everybody could watch. And at the end, everybody knew that Al Franken was the winner. Uh, that said, Al Franken is apparently on his way out of uh, out of the U.S. Senate, you may have heard. Oh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, he announced his resignation recently, but uh, at least four senators are now urging Al Franken to reconsider resigning, including two who issued statements calling for the resignation two weeks ago by Franken. Uh, who, who say they now feel remorse over what they feel was a rush to judgment. This is according to Politico today. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, who had originally urged Franken to not step down, uh, at least not before he went through an ethics committee investigation, said that Minnesota's uh, senator was railroaded by fellow Democrats. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin said what they did to Al was atrocious, referring to the Democrats. Um, He said, Franken said he's going to resign in the coming weeks, but he didn't set a date. And uh, that has set uh, given fleeting hopes that there's time to reverse course here. But uh, Tina Smith, Minnesota's Democratic lieutenant governor, was named last week as his appointed successor whenever he does leave. But Manchin uh, stressed that he believed it would be appropriate for Franken to step down if the allegations against him proved to be true. These allegations recording uh, uh, having to do with inappropriate sexual contact with well, some. Yeah, you know, boorish behavior, uh, you know, during photo ops and stuff. Not nearly the same level of what has been uh, what other men have been accused of, both in politics and in the entertainment industry. Yeah. And um, Manchin said he should have gone through the ethics uh, committee uh, process first. Now, he apparently is not the only one who's saying this. Senator uh, uh, Patrick Leahy, who issued a statement calling for Franken's resignation, has since told him privately that he regrets doing so. This according to two people familiar with the conversation. Uh, A third senator said, I think we acted prematurely before we had all of the facts. In retrospect, he said, I think, well, actually, I don't know if this is a he or she. This is an unnamed senator. In retrospect, I think we acted too fast, the senator said. Two of the senators who issued resignations, uh, resignation calls, told Politico that they felt rushed to weigh in as they were focused on other things. And in retrospect, They signed off on statements without the appropriate care and thought. Franken's office has declined to comment, but he's continuing to uh, make plans to leave. Another senator, Republican Senator James Lankford, said that uh, he should have Franken should have gone through the ethics committee process first. So I don't know if this is over or not, but uh, as we've been saying on this show quite early on, um, he should not yet have left. Not at least until this went through a process in the Senate. All right. We have to leave, however, uh, at least for now. Uh, So my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Lulu Freisdat, uh, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Though we thank you 
if you stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to stay on your public airwaves as long as we can. Find me and follow me as well on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That's it. I know I'm late. Out of here. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Good luck, world.